0: Hey everybody, welcome to Contextualize. It is AJ here with Jim. Back at it. Back at it after, I don't know, a couple weeks, months, however long it's been. It has been,
1: been a while, especially to study a text in its context and get into 2 Samuel. This right. is all...
0: Yep. Yeah, so we've been, I guess for several months we've known that we're going to be getting into 2 Samuel following the 1 Samuel preaching series, which wrapped up in May. And so we've been thinking about this for a while, or, or looking towards it. And so that's what we're going to do today: is just kind of jump into Second Samuel, uh, even explore some of how this connects back to the preaching series. And
1: yeah, and there. for our thousands of listeners, um, well, <laughs> <laughs> I want to encourage you just to make sure you read along, uh, especially if you walked with us through the First Samuel series, because even this morning, just knowing we we're going to talk about chapter one and reading it again, I love the way that first and second Samuel are written. Yeah. They're Old Testament narrative, obviously originally in Hebrew, but there's a, I just love the style of yeah. writing. And so just to yeah. even jump in again today and be like, oh, this is almost like coming back home after months in first John and different things. Like, this is just a neat part of the Bible yeah. with a very, very, very important part of redemptive history's narrative being described to us. Right. So just want to encourage you to actually read it. Well,
0: it makes me think of this. Let me ask you this. Um, so contextualized podcast-wise, we are in 2 Corinthians. And so 2 Samuel different than 2 Corinthians. Um, just we and we've talked about this a little bit before, so we won't make it long, but just brief thoughts about jumping from New Testament epistle now back to yeah. Old Testament narrative.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, an epistle, especially the way Paul writes epistles, is uh it's it's discourse and he's building an argument. Mm-hmm. And so what it, Does he use imperatives or indicative verbs? What prepositional phrases does he use to unpack those things or to expand them? So we're looking at a lot of grammar, and we're looking at a lot of repeated individual words. Words do matter in Old Testament narrative, but I think that now we're back in to say, okay, who are the characters? What part of the character's uh, thought life or actions are being emphasized in the text? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then we have different ways in which we see the gospel in Old Testament narrative, very different than the New Testament. You know, typology, you know, that's that you know, there's an anti type and a type. So if Christ is the real thing, there's these shadows, these mm-hmm. anti types or types, excuse me. Types. Types, excuse me, yeah. Uh, of of the real yeah the real king. Yeah. And so we know that the Bible's description of redemptive history is going to point toward the great king who's Christ, who's the greater son of David. Yeah. But then how do we see Christ in shadow ways in David's character and actions? How do yeah. we not see that in Saul? So it's just a whole different yeah. grid of interpretation and it's a quite a wonderful, I just love it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been struck, I guess, grown more over the last year or so of just thinking about how the, the narrative and plot matters. Um, Within how it's written, like the if you if you understand the plot of a scene or of a whole book, that that you're actually quite a ways along to figuring out Correct. what the Lord wants us to see in that passage. And uh, the the other thing that I think of with narrative, and I remember this from when uh, our community group studied Acts, um, is Acts covers multiple decades, um, but you get you know only a handful of scenes for covering thirty so years or whatnot. And just thinking of for who for Luke writing that. Why did he choose this? Of all the things he could write, why did he write this? And then that's I think something we can carry into Second Samuel is of all the things that could be said that happened in this time period, why this? What's he trying? what what is he pointing us to? What is he telling us through even his selection of what he talks about?
1: And we don't necessarily so, know the answer to all the whys, but we know who yeah. guided Samuel to write these things, right? So you have the Holy Spirit inspired the prophets. Right. That's how Peter and Paul Address it in the New Testament. So God has designed for this book to be given to us the way that it has. And um, as you mentioned, um, plots, let me just say one of the things that I enjoy about Old Testament narrative is, yeah, when you stretch out the whole of Old Testament history, we have a big story plot unfolding. Mm -hmm. So we have God puts his, his mercy and grace and chooses a people. That's Abraham. That's back in the book of Genesis. But then the people... Are going to become a nation, and that's mm-hmm. when you see really in the era of the Exodus, the yep. law uh, is given to God's people as a nation. Now, and then we're going to see that the nation becomes a kingdom. Right. Um, some of that by God's design, obviously His sovereign control, but also the people's errant wishes to say we want to be like the, the kingdoms around us with kings yep. and kind of have our own thing. So we're in the middle of that, mm-hmm. and again, it all is going to point toward even the way the New Testament describes it. We're a holy nation, the people of God. We are a set-apart yeah. people for his own possession. We are a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of the redeemed. And so just the big themes also are in this. Yeah. So you have something smaller like typology, but you have something yeah. bigger like the biblical theme of kingdom,
0: You're right? Yeah, which is yeah.
1: unfolding as we read Old Testament narrative. By the time we get to the New Testament, they're more fully baked realities of how we're supposed to be thinking about how God works in the world. Yeah,
0: yeah that's good. So... This is Second Samuel, which follows First Samuel, and which
1: is the second half of a single, <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs> of a single work. So is this is one book or two books? It is one book in its original Hebrew uh, yeah. form, and so it was a Books of the Kingdom. I can't remember exactly, um, but it it wasn't called the Books of Samuel. Right. It, it is now in in our Bible been recorded as First and Second Samuel, and we do have. Big context that shows the connectivity of the two, yeah. of the two halves, yeah. if you will. Yeah, um, Yeah. well, maybe touch on some Yeah, of let that me touch uh, on that, and then we'll jump into what we connection. see right away in first Sam, uh, 2 Samuel 1 about the, the carrying forward of the narrative. One of the things that's so profound when we study this set of books is at the very beginning of 1 Samuel, hopefully Christ community folks remember Hannah's prayer, when she talks about all the ways of reversal mm-hmm. that God acts for His people, you know, so she has her own personal story, um, but God is a God who's going to reverse her own story because He's also a God who's going to re- reverse history. And in this amazing prayer song of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter two, there are words like like it ends with her saying that the Lord's going to judge the earth; He's going to give strength to His king, which is very prophetic. Mm-hmm. He will exalt the power, or the, the word there is horn, of his mm-hmm. anointed. Now, if we turn to the end of 2 Samuel, not the last chapter, but 2 Samuel 22, just like 1 Samuel began with a song and a prayer, David has a song and a prayer in Second Samuel 22. And let me just read the beginning of it. Um, verse 2, David said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. Well, in Hannah's prayer, she starts 1 Samuel and says, that, that the Lord is is ultimately a rock. Verse 2, there's no one holy like the Lord. There's none beside you. There is no rock like mm-hmm. our God. So yeah. Hannah yeah. says God's a rock. David says yeah. that God has been his rock, his shield. David says he's the horn of my salvation. That's the same word as First Samuel 2 verse 10, where Hannah yeah. says the Lord's going to exalt the horn of his anointed. Now yeah. the anointed one, David, is saying he is the horn of my salvation. And yeah. so... Um, Again, there's a lot of connection between David's song in 2 Samuel 22 and Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2. Even the reversal themes are in both of those. Yeah. Uh, and we don't need to spend our time trying to unpack all the ways we right. do it. But again, that's one of the things that commentators yeah. have pointed to historically, yeah. just to say, look at how this single work starts with a song prayer, ends with a song prayer, and the themes are are repeated as well as expanded or even fulfilled. Yeah. You actually have the song of the anointed one. Yeah. Reiterating the words that Hannah prayed when she was anticipating an anointed one. Yeah. Which is cool. That's
0: that's good. And so it's it is helpful to see that yeah, these two books in, in our English Bibles are, are one book. Like there's a, a continuous story uh, that goes through them and I mean, I think the it, we can see the division, though, too, and this is what we'll get into in our text today. At the end of 1 Samuel, Saul dies, and beginning of 2 Samuel starts with the news of Saul's death, and so you have kind of David on the rise in 1 Samuel, but then really David is king. Yep. Um, not only anointed as kind of the secret king on the run. You know, I thought you were say thing.
1: David reigns, because you said David on the rise, and... <laughs> Never mind. Sorry. Preachers and what we look for. Hey, can I parallel this? Yeah, go ahead. It just popped in my head. Yeah. This is like Luke-Acts. Okay. You have Jesus dying. Which were both both written by Luke. Both so are written by Luke. Yeah. And you have Jesus' death and resurrection being the end of the Gospel of Luke. And at the very beginning of the book of Acts... Yeah. For one, the narrative is going to continue. The next scene is going to happen with the disciples. Uh And they're afraid and Christ has died and been resurrected. But we see them having doubts and kind of you have a little bit of kind of overlap. Uh Um, But also you have Luke say, hey, the last book was all that Jesus began to do. And now we're going to write about what he continued to do. So here we have in 1 Samuel is all that David began to do, the the, the king that he began to be uh, as he began to rise. And now we're going to see him actually begin to reign as the king. Yeah. So
0: That's things good. a little bit of a parallel. That was that was very preacherly. It began to can <laughs> began to reign. Good job. So well anything else before we jump in? No,
1: I think that there's a lot in chapter one oh. of this second book. So all
0: right, well let me uh, let me attempt to summarize chapter one just to give some kind of hooks we can hang our hats on and then we'll get into some of the specific things. So at the end of first Samuel thirty one um, or at the end of 1 Samuel, in chapter 31, Saul dies. Uh, that, that's the big thing. Saul and his, his sons die. The people of Israel are defeated by the Philistines there. And so 2 Samuel starts, um, and, and it's, it's focused on, on David, but a man comes and tells him this news. So David and his men are grieved by this. They learn that the guy who told them this is an Amalekite. And then David learns that this Amalekite, who's come and told this news to them, is actually the one who claims to have finished Saul off. Like he kind of he found Saul dying, and, and he, Saul asked him to kill him, so he did. And so you have more uh, mourning, weeping uh, from David. David ends up giving a command to his men to execute this Malachi because he um, killed the Lord's anointed. And then the the last half of this chapter, uh, from verse seventeen on, is a is a song of lamentation that David writes about Saul and Jonathan and Israel. i kind of it's personal, but it's also uh, corporate in that way. So, that's what happens in the chapter, but let's get into some of the Yeah, I mean details. it's
1: important the details. It starts in Ziklag. We need to remember that what is David doing in Ziklag while well, he and the men he was leading have just rescued their children and their wives yeah. from who?
0: The Amalekites. The Amalekites. Yeah.
1: And so this is within days of that. And I, oh, yeah. I remember preaching through 1 Samuel, and at the end we're basically saying that the scenes are starting to be concurrent. Yeah. So while David is actually rescuing his vagabond of people from the Amalekite raiders, Saul is fighting the Philistines for the last time, and yeah. he will die. Yeah, And David doesn't know that that's happening, right? Uh, because David had been exiled, if you will, uh, and he was kind of living among the enemy for a while, kind of in hiding. Living among the Philistines. (laughs) Yes, yes. And so then the Philistines send David back to Ziklag and the Amalekites had raided there and Saul now has to fight the Philistines where if David hadn't have been sent back to Ziklag, David would have had this predicament of fighting against his own people. So just bring you back to where we were, those of you who walked through that. But again, it is important. David remained in Ziklag for two days and this is when the news hits him that while he was rescuing his wives and children, Saul and Jonathan's lives were lost and the Israelites were defeated yeah. for this last time. Yeah. And um, it's a tragic scene. Yeah. I mean the amount of pain that David is in is just you talk about the turn of a of a page to a new chapter of his life. Right. His life has been identified for a long time of running from Saul. Right. His life has been identified as loyalty from Jonathan. And now both in an instant the news yeah. hits him. Saul's no longer going to seek to kill David. And Jonathan, David's confidant and closest friend, is no more. It's no more. Yeah. This is a tragic scene. Yeah.
0: And, and just to link that a little bit more with what you were saying of, back in chapter 30, I mean, when David and his men got to Ziklag, that, that's when they found out that nobody was there. Their wives and children had been taken. So that was a, a trial, right? They go, they rescue them, they get back to Ziklag. And now when they're back two days later on the third day is when they get this news. So it's just like, he's just being pummeled with that news. Uh, the, the other one turned out. Okay. But now Jonathan, Saul are dead. The people of Israel have fled and been defeated. Um, and so verse five, he asks the, the man, how do you know this? And he says, I was by chance. This is verse six. By chance, I happened to be on Mount Gilboa. There was Saul leaning on his spear and behold, the chariots and the horsemen were close upon him. Uh, he looked over, uh, he learns I'm an Malachi, and then verse nine, Saul says to, to this man, this Malachi, stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me, and my yet my life still lingers. And so he, he does that, and then he takes his crown and his armlet and he he comes to David with that. So we were talking about this a little bit before, but I'll we'll just rehash it again. Is
1: is <laughs> how does this compare to what we read in first in Samuel thirty well, one? How do we think about this? Skeptical. I'm air quoting scholars here of of the scriptures would say, "Look, we have an inconsistency." Uh huh. Right. Because according to chapter thirty-one of First Samuel, which on my Bible is the is the other page, I'm looking yep. at you know, <laughs> look on the left page, and you have one account which says that Saul fell on his sword because he asked his armor bearer to stri- strike him through. The armor bearer said no, so yep. Saul, Saul took his own life. The armor bearer then. Saw that Saul taking his own life, so he took his own life, and then Jonathan also ends up dying. So, yeah. that's what chapter thirty-one says. Right. Basically, Saul killed himself. Right. Now, in chapter one of Second Samuel, this young man says, "No, I mercifully thrust him through because he asked me to." Which is it? And this is where we were dialoguing. I think there's some. Yeah. I think there's there's some potential ways in which this is, can be resolved, but also we have to try to imagine how it could be seen this way. So yeah. either, one is Saul didn't fully take his own life. Right. He wasn't fully dead when the Amalekite happened upon them. Uh-huh. Saul's armor bearer is dead. It doesn't look good for Saul. He's going to die anyway. Yeah. And then the Amalekite says, he had just enough breath in his lung to ask me to end it mercifully, and yeah. I did. Yeah, That's one yeah. way in which the two stories could fit together. Yeah. And the way I see it, and maybe there's another, but... Another way would be that this Amalekite is lying yeah. because this Amalekite wants David to see him as a merciful um, servant or at least as a non-enemy, and yeah. he's an Amalekite. Yeah, He's the yeah. great enemy yeah. of the people of God. Right. Yeah. Any and third option or which one do you like? Well, lie? I mean, what? third
0: option would be, right, these are just incompatible, right, different, different oh, stories, right, right. which is, and you talked about that, but it's one, that's not a necessary conclusion by any means, and two it uh, doesn't line up with um, this being scripture so um, yeah I, I think those, those are the two ones either the Amalekite is embellishing this and, and he wants to take credit for this for his own what he thinks is going to be honor yeah it's or, going to protect or, him potentially Yeah, yeah. or two um, and that, I, I would lean towards um, I think what you said for you as well that probably Saul start, Saul probably did give a fatal blow to himself but he wasn't dead yet but he was dying and the Amalekite finishes him off uh, while he's still lingering. But yeah, that, and that's I, what I would think. That seems to be the easiest explanation. Here. Right, and I think
1: for time's sake, we need to speak of what we know, yeah. which is, according to Second Samuel 1, by the testimony of his own lips. Yeah. Who is it that says I killed Saul? The Amalekite. That's an irony. You yeah. were talking about it right there's, before we started. Well,
0: there's yeah, there's at least two angles of irony here. So one is back in, was it chapter 15 or whatever? Yeah. Um, 1 Samuel. Yep. Saul, the Lord tells Saul to go destroy the Amalekites. Simple command, and Saul doesn't do it.
1: Pretty much all of them. Right.
0: <laughs> he, he, he keeps some of them, right? Yes, you know, he did the, not obey. The, the people wanted to worship. They wanted to sacrifice. They remember this. Um, and so Saul didn't fulfill the Lord's command. Now that goes all the way back to Exodus 17 when the Amalekites attacked Israel coming out of Egypt. And so the Lord has promised for at this point, I mean, centuries, he's going to bring justice on the Amalekites. He told Saul to do that. Saul didn't do it. So now one of the people that Saul didn't kill is claiming to have killed him. And So it comes full circle, comes on its head. The, the other angle of irony is that David just killed the Amalekites. I mean, they, they just rescued his, his wives, their children, yeah. from the Amalekites um, and now there's an Amalekite coming to him thinking he's bringing good news. And it's not going to work out so well for that Amalekite. Totally. So,
1: What stands out to me is David's words before he executes the young man yeah. or has him executed. Right. Yep. Is, is in verse 14. 14. How is it you were not afraid to put your hand out to destroy the Lord's anointed? And this takes us back into First Samuel chapter after chapter. David refuses to take matters into his own hands. Saul has been in a cave. David cuts off the corner of his robe instead of stretching out his hand against him. Um, That happened again. Uh, A a similar scene. David goes across the the, the crags and the rocks. And he sees Saul sleeping. And all of Saul's troops around him are asleep. And David just takes his spear and his water jug and goes to the other side and says, Hey, these belong to you. I was that close to you. I could have killed you. But I will not. I refuse to. Stretch out my hand. So David has this fear of God, yeah, which yeah. was required for yeah. God's king. Yeah, Saul doesn't have fear of God. He's been right. rebellious, and, and it, his trajectory of his life led to his own demise. But David's words are very insightful, that even now David is saying, I was never going to when I maybe could have, and some told me I should have. Who are you, Amalekite, O enemy of God, that you did? Yeah, And you just told me with a matter of confidence— Yeah, your own words have
0: indicted you. I mean, yeah,
1: guaranteed that justice requires your life to be spent. Yeah, so I just think that the fear David has of the Lord is is important. That that's how Second Samuel starts out for us.
0: That's yeah, that's good. And uh, thinking about that, um, it shows. I think David's. uh, I mean, his fear of the Lord. I think maybe another way to say that, or to add to that, is. He has a resolute, a resoluteness to obey the Lord rather than letting situations dictate certain things because, I mean, Saul has not shown himself to be a worthy candidate. <laughs> he's not been a, a good king in that. And so it, it could be easy to make an excuse. They're like, oh, well, you know, thankfully he's dead now. Um, it, it'd be really easy to see that. Or he was dying and this guy put him out of his misery. I mean, there's even an element of compassion, yeah. but... But David is resolute and won't move from the fact that it's not man's prerogative to take the life of the Lord's anointed. Like, that's the Lord's job.
1: So we mentioned typology earlier. Yep. What stands out to me here is David's the type of Christ that has been studied by us over the course of the first book. There's a depth to the king. To the Lord's anointed that we need to see. Okay. that yeah. To me, foreshadows Christ's death. Um, again, like you said, he didn't say, all right, good. That problem's gone now. All right. You have David go and grieve. Yeah. Before he comes back. They We're mourn, gonna, they weep, they fast in verse yes, 12. Yes, he's going to, he is. They tear his, th- tore his clothes. The amount of pain that David has already navigated in his life. The amount of times he's had to say goodbye to Jonathan or mm-hmm. the amount of times he's had to be isolated and alone and had to, you know, flee <laughs> for his own life. yeah um, They're only in a compound in Second Samuel, and we're going to see that his life is not one of ease, which our Lord's wasn't, Christ's yeah. life wasn't either. But you don't have a shallow anointed here.
0: Yeah, right.
1: And he's also brave. Yeah. He is willing to execute judgment and justice by mm-hmm. means of the the role that he has by means of his faith in God in yeah. his holiness so you just you just have a very thick character yeah we saw that in First Timothy but it just starts that way in this I mean every emotion from rage and anger mm-hmm. righteous vindication to grieving and sorrow and sadness and yeah. weeping um, it does speak of and anticipate more of who Christ was when he came.
0: Yeah. And, yeah, I, I guess just to echo some of what you're saying, yeah, verse 11. I mean, just just thinking from verse 11 to 17, the verbs for David. He tears his clothes. I um, mean, the men with him as well, so they're, they're mourning with him. He mourns, he weeps, he fasts, and then verse 17, he laments. I mean, all those words picture sorrow,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: it's just repeated over and over again. Um, yeah. And just thinking of how... I guess it, it could be, I mean, I can imagine myself there, <laughs> kind of put, do, do that angle of, it, it could be easy to be tempted to rejoice, right? Saul's finally gone. The,
1: the amount of wickedness that David has experienced at yeah. Saul's hand. I mean, go back to the priests of Nob. Right, yeah. And David's absolutely. like, I knew that my actions occasioned the death of these priests. Well, no, not actually your actions, so much as the wickedness right. of Saul. So, yeah. But so... You just don't see him gloat. Yeah. Um, and that's probably where we should go as we look at the lament in this song yeah. that he has to be recorded in Scripture from verse 19 yeah. to the end of the chapter. Just his grieving.
0: Yeah, and in, in this song, I mean, verse 19, he says how the mighty have fallen. Verse 25, he repeats it. Verse 27, he repeats it. Um, maybe, Maybe even verse 22 is there as well. Uh, but the way he speaks about Saul and Jonathan, I mean, you expect it towards Jonathan here, right? But the way he speaks about them here is very, um, verse 24, Your daughters of Israel weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold in your apparel.
1: He's hes unwilling, even in his own words, and this is a, a, a lament he's commanding Israel to record for their future reference. He will not utter words to say, The unjust, wicked king that you chose is finally gone and let us all celebrate. He doesn't say that. He does the opposite in the sense of saying he was the Lord's anointed. I mean, you actually have him say, verse 20, don't let the news of Saul's death be announced in Gath.
0: Remember, gath
1: the people of Gath have already acknowledged who David is, right? Right. David's the one that defeated Goliath, um, and he's saying no. So, chapter 31,
0: verse 9. Right, the Philistines come. They get his body, Saul's body. They cut off his head. They strip off his armor. They sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of the idols and the people. And so, in, in some like it happened. Now, then the men of Jabesh Gilead go and get Saul's body. Right, um, and so that's part of this too. But um, I mean, David's crying out that that wouldn't happen, but there's already the beginnings of it
1: yeah. happening. Well, and this is hard because it's still, some of these verses in this song, I'm like, does David, is he thinking straight? He must be really sad. Verse 23, Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely. Well, certainly David saw a loyalty and a belovedness and a loveliness in Jonathan. Uh-huh. But then he says in life and in death, they were not divided. Well, obviously they weren't divided in death because they both fell in the same location right. in the same way. Um, but. In life, Jonathan actually divided himself from his father when he professed his loyalty to the kingdom that would be David's. Yep. Jonathan forsook his own inheritance, which right. would be the throne himself yep. and gave it up. Yep. And so you're like, well, David, are you are you not thinking straightly? And I think what what I'm acknowledging here uh-huh. is David wants the memorialization of uh, God's anointed, who was Saul, who David would not stretch out his hand against him. He wants the memorialization of Jonathan, who was loyal to his father in a way. Jonathan also didn't try to take his own father's life, though he he ran away. Um, There's something that David the king has in his desire to have all this recorded and memorialized, and the the sentiment of it is grief, not pride. Yeah. Yeah. The sentiment of it is... The Lord did something through these servants, and it's the Lord's um, glory, mm-hmm. the Lord's goodness to us that we've arrived at this day yeah. somehow.
0: Yeah. and I, So when I was reading that right before this, I, that was one of the verses I highlighted because it stood out to me too. Um, and I, I wondered, is, is part of what he's getting at when he says, not divided in life, that and there, there's some pretty clear um, moments where, like you were saying, Jonathan chooses David over Saul, and he sees that David is the Lord's anointed. Like he, he understands this. He gives up his throne for David. So, all of that happens. Um, Saul I may mean, has some very harsh words towards Jonathan, but even with all of that strife relationally and whatnot happening, you still have thirty one two. The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. Like even in all that, David or Jonathan is still there with Saul, even though he's chosen loyalty to David as yeah. the Lord's only. He's still serving his father. I, I don't know. I wonder if that's part of what he's getting at. But yeah, just and, a thought.
1: and I mean, it is important to say that the the end of this, David's love for Jonathan is yep. profound. Yeah. His distress. And he thinks of Jonathan's friendship and love for him. And he does. This is one of those verses that I think have been sadly misinterpreted greatly. But, you know, your love for me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. David is saying that you were my closest confidant and friend. Yeah. And you were the son of the king. I had been anointed to be the next king and you professed your loyalty to me. And it's a love I've there's no rival to such love.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. And you laid your life down essentially uh, when you did that. And so just to think of the pain that David's in, I I will say I took something out of my last sermon in first Samuel 31. And I don't know if this is where we wrap up and there may be some last thoughts, but the one thing that I would just kind of big picture say here is if Hannah's prayer at the beginning of first Samuel is about God being a God of reversal, right? He's going to humble the proud. He's going to exalt the lowly, Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's she just gives example after example, and then he, she basically says the Lord's going to raise up His king. The last chapter of thirty one is the pride, the prideful one fall falls. Yeah. yeah. The first chapter of Second Samuel one is showing us this. There's going to be a reversal inside the throne room of the people of Israel. Look at how humble David is. Look at how how he's not angry. Like Saul was always enraged. Yeah. Look, look how different he is that he would even grieve and ask God's people to publicly grieve with him. While he gives words about how Saul was the Lord's anointed for as long as Saul was the Lord's anointed. Mm-hmm. And so he gives positive words about Saul. Very affectionate words about Jonathan. But I think it's sort of a fulfillment of Hannah's prayer.
0: Yeah.
1: And God's people are about to see a total reversal. Yeah of what it's like to have God's king be on the throne compared to what they had when Saul was on the throne. I think that's the big picture of what's going on here.
0: That's good. Um, Just as you were saying that, I've not thought about this in this passage before, but it makes me think of Matthew 5 with the Beatitudes and just some of what Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful. All of those descriptions you see David wearing in this passage. Um, And I, I guess... What, what that takes me to is, is David's embodying the blessed life of the, of the anointed king. like he's, he is that blessed one, and even as we think about what Jesus says, I mean th- those are instructional for us, like absolutely, but they're also telling us about who he is yep. as the king. And, and this scene of David helps us understand Jesus in that way too. So. And
1: that's where chapter two is going to take us. is David will now be finally. Anointed as king of Judah. Yeah, and we've had this long dilemma. And it's been—I mean,
0: it's been years and yeah. years. Uh, I'd have to look at something to.
1: Well, and it's been—it's been half of the Book of First Samuel. Yeah, you know, and yep. now we're finally fifteen chapters or whatever later, saying, oh, "Ah, <laughs> be—he can be who can he is." Yeah, yeah, right. which we'll get into. Yeah. So, man, I love it. I can't <laughs> believe we are back at
0: it. It's good. Well, um, be encouraged by this, people, and um, Lord willing, we should be back at it next week in Chapter 2.
1: Yeah, you have a king who's anticipated in Second Samuel 1. Read it and just consider the humility as well as the mm-hmm. holiness of Christ our King. who's the greater David. Have a great rest of your week.